Welcome to Laying the Leadership Foundation podcast, where Stephanie and I discuss how we are building a leadership development program and hear from guests on their experiences. Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Laying the Leadership Foundation podcast. Uh, Stephanie and I are back this week with our special guest, Jeff, or Dr. Jeffrey O'Brien. Um, lots of hats that he wears. Uh, one of them, the one that we know of, of him with, is the NCAA Leadership Academy Workshop. Uh, but the one that he's probably most known for is being the Vice President at the Institute of Sport and Social Justice. So uh, thank you so much for taking some time on this busy Friday, Jeff. It's my pleasure. Look forward to, to chatting with you all. Um, I guess starting off, obviously we know where you are now. If you wouldn't mind walking us through a little bit about your background, uh, obviously you know that you have some time at Northeastern, which is um, a couple hours away from us at AIC, but I uh, want to know sort of a little bit about your upbringing and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm a, a proud upstate New Yorker uh, from Rochester um, and um, lived in Buffalo for 12 years. Go Bills, the AFC Championship coming up this weekend. It'd be a good one with the Chiefs. Uh, I hope so. I hope so. I think we have a team that's that could compete here. So let's we'll see. Um, but it, what drew, what took me to Buffalo was college. So I went to Canisius College, which is right in downtown Buffalo, which seems like a million years ago now, and um, played football there, um, and really enjoyed that experience. Um, and but Canisius really affirmed a lot of uh, values that I learned as a kid. You know, kind of growing up a working class in a working class family learn the values of, you know, you, you, you lead and live by who you are and what you stand for, you know, you, you, you be values led, make sure people understand your character, you know, your words should mean something, um, do what you say you're going to do. Um, and certainly working class sensibilities of kind of earning your way through always stuck with me. And the thing that I, I wasn't even aware of um, I can't say I was conscious of this when I went and chose to go to Canisius was the Jesuit values around service. And so while I was raised Catholic, I, I, I would be, I would be um, misleading folks if I said that, oh yeah, when I went to Canisius, the Jesuit core values were really what drove me there. It was something I learned about and thought, oh, wow, this is really fits in with what I've learned through my family, like being a good neighbor, being a good citizen, helping other people. How can you be in service of others? It really um, resonated, you know, based on the way I saw the elders in my family living and what they tried to teach us. And so that was a great fit and an unexpected fit. You know, as I grew and matured, it's, I started to see, wow, this is really helpful, this, you know, kind of dynamic. Um, and some of those lessons were, you know, kind of what led me into the, the work that we do now, um, which is really in the realm of sport-based social justice. And so starting at uh, my Canisius undergrad was in English and then have a master's degree in education from Canisius as well. And really thinking about um, education was what I always wanted to do, teaching in some way. I just didn't know what it was. I, something told me it wasn't going to be English that I was going to be teaching, but that was what I was, you know, kind of um, had my uh, certification, my New York State certification to teach English, but I couldn't really see doing that. I was more interested in coaching in high school than I was in teaching. Yep. So did a bunch of coaching at the start there, just in that way. It was uh, part-time and substitute teaching. 
um, coaching football, basketball, track, you know, any sport you could imagine. Um, went back to Canisius and coached football there for a couple of years as well and thought about coaching. It's probably possibly the way I would use teaching and education. And then there was this AmeriCorps program that came about. So AmeriCorps is, is national and community service, still exists now, but it was just starting uh, with Bill Clinton's presidency back in the early 90s. And so Canisius was one of the members of a, of a national effort that was called Athletes in Service to America. And so I was just finishing up a grad assistantship where I was handling most of our outreach for student athletes. So I'm going to date myself, but this was before there was student athlete development. This was before Champs Life Skills. It was just individual institutions doing some of this stuff because they felt it was important. So you were so, on the forefront of all that then? Ha, I, 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 that's, a, that's a nice way of saying that, Thomas. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, we didn't know what that was at that time or whether it was going to be a national thing. Um, Champs came out, I, I want to say four or five years after that point. But it was really useful grounding and just thinking about service in the community and how athletes, even at a small school like Canisius, would get people's attention. You know, students would see us come in and say, you know, hey, who are you? What position do you play? They want your autograph. And we're thinking, man, how, what do they want our autographs for? But it was um, it was an eye opener around the, the power of sport and the ability to serve. And so as we think about developing some of the things that we all you know, kind of take for granted and do now, that was understanding, okay, how do we make an impact? How do we reach people? So I finished uh, working there. And that's when the connection of the AmeriCorps program connected me to Northeastern in Boston. And so Northeastern Center for the Study of Sport and Society, that's a social justice-based sport organization as well. And we worked both locally in the Boston community and then nationally and then even globally on DEI-related issues, domestic sexual violence, prevention, education, media literacy, leadership, you name it, like the full gamut. Um, and that really was what the, the launching point was for me to really get deeply involved in a lot of this work that's considered leadership development and student-athlete development oriented. And so since then, you know, our work spans from professional sport organizations, college, even high school organizations and military, both ours and, and abroad. And so there's been a million things that have happened in between that are all, you know, kind of interesting life kind of paths that I'd be happy to expand on as, as you want to ask. <clears throat> yeah, one of them for me, I know, uh, I can't remember which podcast it was, but Stephanie sent it to me. Um, I'm a big basketball fan. I grew up playing basketball, coach basketball at the collegiate level for a year before making the transition to communications. And uh, I remember hearing a story about Greg Popovich, who's one of my favorite yeah. coaches. Um, I think not only the basketball that he coaches um, is phenomenal, but he seems like an authentic person, someone who's willing to speak up, um, especially in, in uh, times of social justice. And uh, one of the interesting things I heard was Becky Hammond was actually one of the most um, outspoken people in that um, group. Can you talk a little bit about a, the barriers that she's breaking down and what she's been able to accomplish, uh, but at the same time, how she was leading off the court as well? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. It was, this was um, in 2014, 15, right in the aftermath of the Ray Rice video 
um, really going viral and everybody seeing um, Ray Rice render his then fiance unconscious with, um, with a punch uh, right to her face in an elevator in Las Vegas. And I think really shocked a lot of people. I mean, those of us who were in domestic violence work, it wasn't shocking. It was, it was more, you know, yeah, this is the work that, that people are doing and trying to prevent. But the general public seeing that, I think, was uh, a peek behind the curtain that people were not looking for. And as a result, a lot of folks wanted to think about how they were addressing um, education and awareness around DV. And so the MBA, MBA was one of those groups. And we ended up training um, 19 of the MBA teams that season and helping front office. The basketball, our uh, training group was basketball operations, which included president of basketball ops through the coaching staffs, trainers, you know, anybody who was uh, in and around the actual basketball operation. And the session with the, the Spurs was always stuck out just because of their reputation as an organization, as you mentioned, Pop's reputation, um, and, the, and the timing is always special with these things. And so we had a session scheduled for them the morning after they lost a game at the buzzer to a team that was pretty bad. I think it was a team that maybe had 10 wins all season. And so I think what the coaches and Pop, they, what they were feeling was, their team, the Spurs just didn't show up that night and they, they got beat because they should have got beat based on the way they played. So they, we sat out in the, the waiting room for an extra, I don't know, 45 minutes or so um, after our session was supposed to start because they were taking the players through a grueling film session about the game the night before. And so all of the people we're gonna train are sitting in this film room. They, you know, so they had already been there for two hours and so you could imagine like the, the room smelled like, you know, people for all that time and everybody was salty and nobody, you know, it was one of those was, it was hilarious. I wish we had video of it. And so I kind of make a joke at the beginning saying, Hey, is everybody happy to be here? <laughs> and it was pop looked up and said, you want the real answer? And I said, yeah, sure. And he's like, no, we're not happy to be here. And I'm just thinking he was drawing a line in the sand around okay, what, what do you got for us? And so it was a good challenge for us to, to say, okay, here's the thing we would say. Um, we're we're going to make a bet that this is going to be valuable use of your time and the information we're going to discuss, you're going to be able to use to enhance the culture of your organization. And so we'll ask you at the end of this, whether that was true or not. And he just kind of looked like, okay, you know, and so then we get started. And the first thing we do is ask a question about leadership. And so for us, all of these social justice topics, whether it's DV, anti-racism work, comes down to moral courage, leadership. And so we start off with a discussion about leadership. Say, hey, what does it mean to be a leader? What are some characteristics of being a good leader? And this is right, you know, minutes right after Pop said, we're not happy to be here. So you can imagine crickets, right? It's nothing. They're, everybody's just staring at us, we're staring back. But what they didn't know that this wasn't our first rodeo. So we were just gonna, somebody's gonna talk sooner or later. So Becky, who you mentioned, Becky Hammond, this is her first season on the bench as a coach in the NBA. First woman, first season. So she's the new kid on the block and she's the only female there. She's the one who broke the ice. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, what incredible courage and leadership, you know, that you're the one who spoke up here you know, in this moment. 
And so she started talking about leadership and then slowly but surely everybody else did. And I could see Pop starting to look around like, hey, wait a minute, this is actually, this is actually pretty good. So he starts chiming in too. And so we end up this session because of Becky's leadership ends up turning around having a really good engagement that they actually asked us to stay longer than the time we had to talk through the policies they had in place or not um, around DV um, in, in their organization. So really fascinating. I mean, I love that experience because it just shows that sometimes it's, you're not getting patted on the back, but this type of work needs to get done. Mm -hmm. And um, the example that Becky sent there and you see with her ability and skill, if, if she wasn't a female, she'd be a head coach already. Yep. And so I'm hoping it'll, I'm hoping it'll happen soon because she's going to be really good and really successful when she does get that opportunity. Those sessions are always the best ones where they come in, they don't want to be there. They're just like, no, I'm not, I'm just going to sit here, get through it until whenever this is over. And then they end up really interacting and getting something out of it. Those, those are incredible workshops and sessions to have. Yeah, you feel you really feel accomplished, don't you? Yeah. When, you when you know people were think were really not happy to be there or um, antagonistic, even in some cases, or challenging, and when you can turn them around, that feels like a really good win for justice, doesn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> and to go along with you know difficult audience or population, um, you've worked with the military and both. U.S. and abroad. So how did that come about? How does that fit in with your social justice, especially since you've used sport as that vehicle for so long? How did that transition into the military come about? Yeah, sure. Interesting story is that all the work that we have been doing in this organization, using the power of sport to try to kind of raise awareness about all of these social justice and leadership related issues, got the attention of uh, an individual who was working on behalf of the sergeant's major of the United States Marine Corps and said, hey, this, this kind of hook of leadership, like talking about these issues from a leadership perspective, like the, hey, there's a, you have a leadership responsibility here to address these issues. They felt that I think this would really resonate with the Marines. And so you think about all of our branches of service the Marines are, you know, kind of have that reputation as the toughest, the, you know, kind of the most eager fighters, the, you know, the, the, the tip of the spear type of, you know, kind of imagery you think of when you think of the Marines, uh, first ones in, last to leave type of thing. And so, you know, we agreed and, and thought, yeah, the, the, you know, people who work in sport are highly competitive. A lot of people have leadership skills, some don't, but a lot have leadership skills, um, but also have a lot of this competitive fire. <clears throat> Similarly, in the Marine Corps, you have a mindset, like a mentality, a mindset where it's like a team in some way, shape, or form, and they have certain missions um, that they're you know working really hard to try to learn and compete um, to win. I mean, different contexts, obviously, very different contexts if we're talking about war. But the, um, the mentality of people in both of those spaces um, isn't always disparate. You know, it's probably more uh, common. So it made a lot of sense. So the biggest thing we needed to do was just understand the culture more. And um, so we could make sure the content was relevant. 
right? Like, so for a lot of what we do is scenario based, you know, in the sports space, you know, so knowing that space, it was easy to create scenarios around if you find yourself in this type of position and you see a teammate doing X, let's talk through what you could do. Why is it, why is that behavior problematic? What can you do about it? So those kind of basic tenants would still be there. If you see a fellow Marine doing X, why is this behavior problematic? And then how can you address it? What we needed to learn as civilians was military and specifically Marine Corps context. Because working with the military groups, you learn very quickly. If you're dealing with Marines, you don't use the term soldier. Right? Soldiers are people in the army and sailors are in, in the Navy, right? Like that type of thing. But um, it, they, they remind you when you work with those groups that no, this is, we're Marines, we're not soldiers. <laughs> um, but so anyway, that's a long way of saying, starting to work with their leadership because they saw these as, they saw the connection that dealing with these issues are leadership issues. Um, not just a, not what uh, rank you have on your sleeve, but just it, you have to have a sense of leadership to be able to have the courage to do this. So I may be a private, but if I'm out with a bunch of fellow Marines and I see them about to do something that I know is not okay, do I have the courage and leadership to step up and address it? Or am I just going to let them do it? You know, that type of thing. And so it's, it went really well. We worked with our Marine Corps for 15 years or so. And as an organization, we just, we started going back and working more specifically with college and professional sport about five or six years ago, hmm. just because we felt like we were spread way too thin. We were working with high school teachers, middle school students, Marines, you know, the, the full gamut. And um, what we wanted to do was be much more specific to the sport audience, but that work has been really rewarding. Yeah, I can only imagine. And I mean, so you go from working with all these different militaries and like you said, organizations from middle school all the way up to professionals. How did you really start your career with NCAA, especially the Leadership Academy workshop, which we're a part of? Yeah, sure. So as an organization, we had everything we had done as I was talking about had been grounded in leadership, you know, and understanding leadership. And what we didn't have was a separate, as an organization, this was probably 2012. What we didn't have was a specific leadership development program for people. Mm -hmm. And so given how much of what we did in all these other realms was grounded in leadership, several of our partners would always say, hey, do you have a full-blown leadership program that we can, you know, kind of learn from, can, that we can take. And we didn't at the time. So we started developing it. And a couple of things happened. I was getting ready to go back. I wanted to get a, a terminal degree, a doctorate. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start this doctoral program and I'm going to focus all of my studies on leadership development. Hmm. So I can learn, I'm going to use the structure of the of all the coursework and the comps and the dissertation on leadership development. So by the time I'm done with this program, I'm going to, uh, I'll have developed a academic rigor and expertise to match up with the practitioner expertise that I had gained by doing this type of work over years. Mm -hmm. So those things were both happening. And as I was finishing, I wasn't even done with my degree yet when the NCA was um, putting out uh, forbid the um, 
uh, vendor to be who the vendor would be for both the the leadership forum, which, which a lot of people are familiar with. Mm-hmm. That's where there's a 400 or so student athletes and some coaches and staff come convene for a four day kind of leadership retreat, which is really a ton of fun. Um, but they wanted a, a new vendor to come in and help them deliver that program. And then they were creating this new thing, which what they were calling a train the trainer program at the time hmm. that you would have to, you would be basically what law has turned into the leadership Academy workshop, help uh, members of institutions come and learn from A to Z, how to build and stand up a leadership development program that could be sustainable and last over time. And so that was a lot of fun because the forum had existed for many years, but the, the law project was brand new, like a completely blank canvas. And to their credit, you know, um, uh, Curtis Holloman and Justin Paysinger were the people who um, hired us on to do that at the NCA at the time. They really entrusted us to say, look, we're hiring you because we like the, the way you approach education. You know, we really emphasize active learning strategies and everything that we do. Um, and so we were, we were given, you know, kind of really carte blanche to re- refashion, reshape the way the forum looks, mm-hmm. and then to build up the um, law program from the ground up. And so in partnership, certainly we did it in concert hand in hand with them. But so that was a, a, a great opportunity to really exercise all the things we had learned as practitioners, all the things I had learned uh, in academic academia through the, the doctoral program. So those things really came together. Um, right before we started the NCA project, I was helping a couple uh, institutions. Northeastern is one of them. I had previously worked at Northeastern for Peter Roby. Uh, who was then the athletic director at Northeastern. And uh, Peter and I have been longtime friends. He's been a mentor of mine since I met him. And he asked, hey, would you help us build this leadership program? And so uh, that was a ton of fun. So that was a that was a precursor to the NCAA. I guess one thing that predated that mm-hmm. is building a program from scratch for Northeastern. For We built a program for head coaches, assistant coaches, and for two groups of student athletes. And it oh, was... Wow. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was a really challenging, but a lot of fun to you know kind of build something that didn't exist there as well. Um, but it gave us the confidence to go into the NCA project that okay, there's a lot of ways to do this, and here's a few. That's incredible. Uh, so as you said that, or as we've learned through our time at law, um, I know we've been able to interview some law alumni and one of the ones that we um, interviewed had said, you know, be prepared to reassess and redo about 50% of your leadership academy after that first year. Cause it's really, you just have to see what the students want, what works well and just be prepared to just keep reimagining it. So how has law itself evolved over the years? Oh, wow. Yeah. So that it's um, well, you all are experiencing it in, in, a, in a way that we didn't anticipate or certainly wasn't intentional um, having to do this virtually given, you know, COVID now. But it, it, one of the things that we have prided ourselves on is really um, um, starting anew each cycle, right? Like, so um, the first cohort, you know, give you an example, the first cohort, if you looked at the content 
and focus areas of the first cohort versus the what you're receiving. I mean, the content is you know probably seventy percent different. You know, so it's uh, what we what you hope one of the one of the foundational tenets of the law project is growth mindset. You know, as you both know, and thinking about up operating from a growth mindset, which means you keep on learning, right? Like you keep on reassessing what you do and learn from it. You keep on getting feedback from participants and see what's missing for, for folks. Um, so if you think about something um, as simple as logic models, right? We didn't do logic models for the first probably three or four years of the program. We just talked more about goal development because we felt it was something most people were more accustomed to doing and had experience with. But then we felt like, no, we need to talk about logic models because this is, if they're, if any of our folks are gonna wanna try to get funding for what they're doing, most grant pro programs and applications now look for a logic model. And so just as an example, that didn't exist early on or things like, um, um, the ice tank challenge where people work together to kind of really work through all of these components, uh, but using a case study, we felt like that was a missing piece. So people were feeling um, that it was mysterious, like, okay, we're seeing all these components, but it feel, still feels a little elusive on how we put this together. So giving people an actual problem solving skill around the, or a problem solving um, opportunity around a case study, help people put it all together with just this case study example. And then, okay, I can apply that to my program because I've already done it type of thing. Mm -hmm. And so as you think about that, all those pieces were, have advanced every year. We reassess it in one of the activities. It's interesting. One of the activities our team does at the start of development before every year <clears throat> is just start with a blank piece of paper and say, okay, a leadership development program where we're teaching other folks to try to build this up. What are the components? What needs to be in it? And so we don't look at any of the old stuff. I mean, certainly we're aware of it, but what, what comes to mind? What are the things we know need to be included? So what we're trying to do is force our minds to be fresh again around what do we think is most important? What do people need to be able to, to actually get this done and be successful? Um, because one of the things we wanna make sure happens is that people walk away and can actually do this. Another example would be just the fact that there's two of you, right? Like, you know, we talked about this um, last week. It started, it was just one person per institution. But one of the things we learned was one person can really feel like they're on an island when they go back to campus. If they've got all this new information and all this great background, context, research, but they're the only one who's learned all this. And so they're now in a staff meeting trying to explain why we need to do things this way. And everybody else is looking at you like you have three heads because what are you talking about? Well, can't we just put a few activities together and slap a leadership logo on top of it and be good? Or the other thing that happened the first couple of years is that people were expecting because it was an NCA program and this was the history that they were gonna get a program in a box. Mm -hmm. Aren't you just gonna give us a binder that is the program and we just go home and you know follow that and said, no, we're, that's not what we're doing. Yeah. So anyway, that just a, a few examples. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, like you said, we mentioned that having two people from each campus, which we think has obviously been a huge asset for us. Um, we can only imagine how it'd be for one person. 
Um, and the person who, the alum or a law alum who I talked to, Spencer was the one who said he had to redo 50% of his curriculum after that first year. Uh, so that's one of the things the two of us have definitely talked about is we at least have to put a good solid foundation, but we also don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves knowing that we're going to have to go back and backtrack a little bit just to make sure what we're doing is the right thing for our organization. Yeah, that you'll you'll continue that same growth mindset, right, Thomas? It's just a, yep. a matter of every year, you know, part of what we'll, we'll do. It's another thing we didn't emphasize <laughs> enough at the beginning was making sure we're doing data collection and research and evaluation. So the, the our M and E, you know, the measurement and evaluation type of components, making sure you're measuring and understanding the impact you're having or not, and then making adjust adjustments accordingly. That's, you know, two years from now, it'll look decidedly different than what whatever the first iteration will be. I, would, I wouldn't be willing to bet. So I guess you've obviously been on the forefront of a lot of these different things. You've helped see things through from the infant stages to where they are now. I guess what programs, trainings, or mentors have really played a major impact or uh, role in your life and in your career? Mm. Yeah, so the you know family members in, in life, like you know uh, parents and, and my grandfather, are three people I always think about as far as foundational, and in um, really inculcating in values and belief systems. But then professionally, I mentioned Peter Robert Roby earlier, mm -hmm. who um, he was the head, he was the executive director of the Center for Sport and Society at Northeastern when I was there an amazing leader, a, a person who um, walks the walk every day, you know, throughout, throughout his career and um, always has been somebody that I could count on and somebody that I've really thrived in working around and for. And so he ended up being the athletic director at Northeastern after um, I left there. And he's the one who hired me back to do the leadership academy there because of our relationship. But Anybody who's not aware of his work and um, life, it's a good opportunity to take a look. He actually serves as a senior consultant with the NCAA now hmm. as well. And then uh, another gentleman named Tom Miller, Dr. Tom Miller, who's uh, vice was the vice president for student affairs um, at um, the University of South Florida. And uh, he was at Canisius when I was an undergrad. He was our first our dean of students then our vp of student affairs there mm -hmm. and um probably the first uh, professional mentor uh and somebody who saw that hey this this young kid here who's a little rough around the edges i think has some potential let me put him in positions where he can get some experience and opportunities and see if if um if he can start to shine a little bit and uh he always had a belief in me before i even understood i had the potential to do anything which we all need people that are going to look out for us in some way, shape, or form. And those two really stick out to me. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, my closing question to you would be with your breadth of knowledge and experience, what would be some words of wisdom to give to someone who is starting their journey in leadership development, either to help themselves or to help others? Mm. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, to me, one of the, the most important things any of us can can do is continue to be a learner and continue to be a sponge. I mean, I, it, 
you can see behind me, I'm a bibliophile. Like, so, uh, you know, the English major part of me, I always want to read, but just soak up information however you get it. Podcasts is a, a great way that I've really um, caught on to, like, you know, listening while I'm running in the morning or something like that. Uh, watching um, um, their TED Talks or things along those lines. But the more you can be a learner and somebody who wants to soak up information, the better. Um, and don't be afraid to not be an expert. Just be who you are and be where you are. Because I think most of the time we feel like we have to present a sense of self that isn't always really who we are. Just be who you are, be where you are, be committed to learning, be humble, and be able to move forward. Um, I think there's a, a strong value in that of building expertise um, along the way. Yeah, so I, I, sometimes I, as a, an aside, I, some people will say, like they'll see some of the consulting work or some of the people we work with and say, oh man, I want to do that. How do you do that? And I was like, well, in 1993, I started, you know, <laughs> you don't do this overnight, right? That, so it's right. one of those things of what have you done for yourself um, to build up along the way? And you, know, you mentioned, Stephanie, the others, you're just making sure you stay focused on relationships and people along the way. You know, don't use people. Well, I think that's a fantastic spot to end um, with that fantastic advice. So uh, we appreciate you joining us today, uh, Jeff, and uh, we look forward to starting our second module of law here uh, next week. So um, once again, thank you so much for not only joining us here, but um, helping start this program as well. Yeah, my pleasure. Look forward to, um, I enjoyed it today, first of all, and then look forward to seeing you all in less than a week for module two. Thanks for joining us this week on Lane the Leadership Foundation podcast. Be sure to subscribe and review this podcast wherever you listen. If you found value in this podcast, do us a favor and share this episode with someone else. As always, keep laying the foundation.